This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Good morning, Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, the co-host of this show. Good morning, Liberty. I am the co-host. Who is the other co-host? You tell me, because honestly, I have no freaking clue. But I do have a guest joining us today, James Chernowski. He's been on the show, I think, just a couple weeks ago. But today we're going to be talking about the collapse of FTX. Does the government need to get involved with this any more than they already are when they were pursuing people who have committed crimes? And is Twitter going to collapse because of this crazy billionaire taking over? We're going to talk to James about all that stuff coming right up. My guest today is James Chernowski. He's a senior policy analyst for Americans for Prosperity and a Young Voices contributor. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you were able to come on with such short notice. There's been a few things that happened since the last time that we talked. I think maybe it's been a couple weeks. We've had entire uh, companies collapse during that time, and we're watching to see whether or not Twitter is going to collapse as well. And so I guess the first thing we can run through, I'm sure a lot of people have uh, heard me talk about it, maybe heard you talk about it, but FTX uh, collapses. I just saw today the Wall Street Journal, I think they said it's because people lost confidence in Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't know if you saw that or not. That was kind of funny. But uh, what, what happened here with FTX and do we just need more laws and regulations and oversight in that industry? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the situation surrounding FTX is really just, it's a wild story of just watching a company go and rise to prominence and then just utterly fail in such rapid fashion. I don't think we've seen anything quite like that in some time. So I think everybody was a little taken aback by that. Um, So I think now what everybody's trying to figure out is like, what exactly happened? Why did it happen? So that way we can go and take appropriate measures looking forward. But basically what happened with FTX was this was a company that had two different arms that had one arm that focused on international uh facing clients around the world and then they had a u.s specific one for dealing with crypto trading 
And that company, as, as the crypto winter was kind of going into full swing, a lot of people were starting to draw down on those assets and pull them out. Um, and it was basically like a miniature bank run, if you will, in some ways uh, on the company. And they ran into a liquidity problem. So originally, the CEO decided that he was going to try to get some help and he wanted to get bought out by Binance, which is another major crypto trading platform out there. Uh, eventually, that fell through for reasons later discovered. Uh, and then the coin that supported a lot of the stuff that they were doing on FTX's US side all of a sudden really just fell through too because a lot of people were selling that coin uh, and basically forced the company into bankruptcy. Now, in its Chapter 11 filings, that, that entire process has been wild. The person who's running it was responsible for doing the Enron bankruptcy filings, and he said that this was worse than that. So that really puts it into perspective. <laughs> Yeah, there's been a lot of really weird things, and this has all happened so fast. Like you said, uh, we keep hearing we keep hearing things about uh, there's conspiracy theories, of course, all over the place. Don't know exactly what's true. We see this massive collapse. They have this FTT coin, I think, is what was backing a lot, uh, which I, I I don't know where that got its value or anything. We saw Binance come in. The original conspiracy theory was that this was just Binance trying to destroy FTX. That was the first thing I saw. And and really, was it just mismanagement? Was it a scam completely? Uh, you know, was this, uh, I don't know, was this just young people who had no idea what they were doing? Or was this actual criminality, you think? Yeah, I think that's the question that everybody wants to get to the heart at, because in a best case scenario, this was a company that was grossly mismanaged with incompetent leadership uh, when it came to other aspects of how to run a business with client money and, and things of that nature. So if you're looking at that Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing, for example, they had no way of really discerning how they were tracking customer money. They had no way of really having any employee logs whatsoever. Um, their expense report system was just you submitting it and then it getting approved or denied via emoji. They had over $1.5 billion worth of personal loans out between the CEO and the chief engineer. Um, and they bought up a lot of real estate in the Bahamas. Uh, there, there's just a lot of really sketchy things at a minimum. So I think that while this investigation right now is primarily just trying to de you know deconstruct what exactly happened, I wouldn't be surprised if this turns criminal pretty fast just because of the nature of how everything's transpired. It just looks really bad at face value. So this is why it's important to just investigate and determine what's happened here because what I would hate to see happen is for crypto industry writ large get placed under stricter regulations because of a bad actor who was just doing bad things already that were violating existing laws, but then had like the shield of a, a new technology that not everybody understands to go and protect them from some scrutiny, right? So that's, I think, where my concern ultimately lies. Now there's, of course, there's theories involving that as well, that, oh, that was the whole, the grand plan to try and, well, we just got to go to this uh, central bank digital currency, you know? And what I think is kind of funny is they talk about how this all became too centralized so to fix that, what we need to do is we just need to go to a centralized uh, digital currency. That, that would solve the problem, of course, with the U.S. government running it. Uh, have you, so a really big theory was this whole money laundering thing. And now on our podcast, what we said was, that's a great story. I love it. This sounds amazing. They talked about you funneling money uh, through Ukraine and back in the Democrats and all that. And man, that's great. That's a, we could make a TV show or a movie from that, but I never really saw any proof of it. 
And since maybe you've dug into this, could you also let our listeners know whether or not that was just pure Twitter misinformation or is there anything behind any of that? Yeah, I think right now it's too early to know with any definitive proof. I think that it's it's not substantiated in any serious way. Um, I think that, you know, as a result of that, I would certainly take that with a massive grain of salt until we see more evidence that can go and prove that. Um, but right now there's nothing to suggest like that some of these wild conspiracy theories, as awesome as they would sound like in terms of if we were scripting a movie, uh, it would be, it's nothing is there that would suggest that that's reality right now. Again, right now, what we can say for sure is that this company at a minimum was grossly mismanaged and that there's a lot of problems that came out of it. Like I said, the person who's responsible for managing this bankruptcy, he said that this is worse than Enron. And I think that that, that goes and screams volumes about just how badly this company was run. And the early indications right now, and it's probably underestimated, is that the top creditors that they owe money to is about $3.1 billion. So that's not small money either. And I, I'm just really, I'm, I'm feeling horrible for the people that were impacted by this. Yeah. And of course, that's going to lead a lot of people to call for regulation in this industry, like you were talking earlier. But there, all, there are already laws uh, against defrauding people, uh, against scamming people, against taking their money. Um, we've already got laws against that, but people want to say, take a closer look at the books. You want the, uh, you want the regulators to be able to be in there making sure that they've got the assets on the books, that it's not just going to collapse. And what do you say to people who want the government to get involved? Uh, maybe I don't think that's a great idea. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think that it would be misguided to go and, and lean into regulation at this particular point in time, because to your point and to my original point, there were already existing laws that were broken here. And the technology is more or less used as a veil uh, to go and hide some of that bad activity, I would say, at a minimum. And what that means is that what we should be focused on is more of an educational campaign to the consumer on the end of the product line to the staffers on the hill and legislators on the hill so that they can understand what crypto is what it is not what it can do what it cannot do more importantly and the same thing for regulators there's a lot of education that needs to be done here and i think that that is more effective in the long run when we're looking at what the future of crypto can look like than going and passing regulations the one thing that we know sbf wanted for sure was regulations uh he was certainly teaming up with gary gensler i think to want to create something that would have been beneficial for him so i don't think the best way that we go and repay him for his horrible actions is by giving him what he wants in the form of regulations and a cbdc uh, which is that central bank digital currency that you referenced before that people are interested in as a result of this downfall. I, I would be very worried about that just because there are some serious privacy concerns that get raised when the Federal Reserve, let's say, has access basically to your transaction logs uh, because you're using a, a U.S. digital currency, if you will. So I think that there are some real problems and privacy concerns that come up there. And if, if that's something that they're interested in doing, we have to be careful about crowd out effects from government taking out private industry leaders in crypto. And we want to make sure that we are respecting civil liberties and people's privacy that can be expected from them when the government's involved. How much of this uh, kind of ridiculous rise of FTX was due to the fact that uh, SBF uh, practiced something called effective altruism? Have you followed that part of the story at all? We've talked a little bit on that, but he was essentially out there only making money so he could do good things for the world and donate to the right causes. And I kind of feel like that led people to look past a lot of the glaringly obvious problems with some people running the company. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think it raises an interesting question because, again, to your point, he was certainly donating a lot of money to a lot of different things um, on top of his political contributions, too, which I think certainly shapes the way that people look at you if you're putting a, a check in their hands uh, to some degree at a minimum. So I think that it's not unfair to ask, you know, what that impact was. I do think that at the end of the day, it shows just how hollow some of those things are. Uh, because at the end of the day, the the thing did come home to roost and his company is bankrupt and all that money that he was allegedly going to donate is worth nothing. He lost almost his entire, you know, complete value as a result of this collapse of FTX. He was valued at around like $19 billion, I think it was. And it just evaporated basically overnight. So I, I would say that, you know, the effective altruism thing sounds nice if you can afford to do it, but not everybody can. And I think it, and to the point like he had that conversation with the vox reporter where like he he even just admitted like it was just virtue signaling for him you know you got to go and say your shibboleths if you will to go and get people to buy into you and i think that yeah while it sounds nice in theory that this guy wants to save the planet to do all these great things i i believe actions speak louder than words and that's why i would rather go and support organizations and individuals that are actually doing the hard work as opposed to just trying to make it rain with money and claim that they care about these issues so deeply uh, people like uh, Elon Musk, right? I mean, he's done a lot of great stuff for the world. I like that transition there into this Twitter conversation because I've heard you talk about Twitter quite a bit. Now, listen, I, we got our blue check on Twitter, which means I've got eight bucks and everyone knows that. Everyone knows that I've got $8 at least this past month. I'll let you know about next month. You just pay attention to whether or not I still have it. I've noticed people losing their minds on Twitter um, I've noticed a few glitches. I've noticed uh, advertisers saying that they were pulling away and I've become slightly concerned. I guess we're going to figure out how the skeleton crew can keep things going over there. But what are your thoughts on what's going on? It's, it's, it's kind of fun to watch, I guess. Yeah, I guess like anything with Elon Musk, it's nothing short of a, a fun time at an amusement park, it feels like. It's a wild ride every single time Elon Musk goes and says anything on Twitter, it feels like. But I mean, to your point, um, I think it's he's learning, learning fast on the job. He's moving fast, breaking things, and then having to go and fix things because he didn't go and realize that, you know, sometimes Twitter does things for a reason. That blue check, you know, selling it for eight bucks creates problems, right? Because Eli Lilly had a, you know, fake account get created saying, hey, insulin's free now. Uh, and that, you know, caused a little bit of a market stir up for them, uh, as you might imagine, uh, when you see things like that. And then other people were just impersonating and it wasn't great having the blue check because part of the problem there is that the blue check was more of a trust system more than anything else. It was supposed to be like, hey, this person is authentically the president of the United States, let's say, in the instance of Joe Biden, or it's like, hey, this person is, in fact, a reporter at CNN, or it's just like a major cultural figure. Um, and you want to be able to denote that so that way they can you can know that it's, in fact, genuine communication from those people. And if you democratize the blue check like he uh, wants to do it. And it's just like a rapid shift like that. It creates a problem because now all of a sudden the signals are getting mixed up because what was supposed to be a signal of trust is more just a signal that you could theoretically buy $8 for a badge. Um, and you know, that's fine, I guess, but like you can't just go from zero to a hundred and something like that uh, and expect everything to be peachy as he found out the hard way. So that's why I think he's trying to rejigger how that, all that works. And um, it'll be interesting to see how it looks moving forward. I think that, yeah, there's obviously some some reason to be concerned when you see a company that has a debt service of over a billion dollars a year i believe is what it ends up being um you know losing a lot of revenue from ad revenue uh when companies are pausing their ads on twitter 
I think that's always a cause for concern. But um, while some people are very, you know, uh, pessimistic and want to see it fail, I'm not necessarily on that bandwagon. I think that Twitter can, you know, remain around for the long term, even underneath Elon Musk's ownership. He just needs to go and get somebody in there to be the CEO that can execute on his vision because he's just way too polarizing of a figure to be uh, at the head of not one, not two, but three separate companies. Um, I think that it would be in his best interest to try to find a way to go and off ramp that to someone else. I agree. I think he's going to do that too. I believe he even mentioned that a couple months ago that he did not plan on remaining as the CEO of Twitter. Uh, so I, I'm sure when he finds someone, like you said, that can execute his vision, uh, that, that he'll be willing to do that. Now, I, you know, the, the blue check thing, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. It does create this separate class system, right, on Twitter. And you get a lot of people who, why does this person have a blue check mark? Like, the, why did they get the check? Why does that mean that I'm supposed to pay attention to, to them and no one's supposed to pay attention to me, Nate, from Good Morning Liberty? You know, why does why did they get it? Sometimes just because they knew someone and they paid someone through the through the back door for it. And sometimes it's because there were people impersonating them. But now I see a big problem with it. First off, the blue check means nothing anymore. Uh, we used to, uh, other than the fact that you're probably not a bot, uh, or at least your bot farm doesn't have uh, a lot of, I don't know, at least your, your bot farm has either got money or doesn't have money. We know that. But we used to do the, we go this, do this thing where we go through tweets, and we call it Dumb Bleep of the Week, and we go through tweets, and we had a system. We would only allow blue checks. We wouldn't just allow comments from random people on Twitter, if we were going to spend time on a tweet, it needed to be a blue check on Twitter. And it, so even we went along with the class system that there was on Twitter when we also didn't like it at the same time. But now any Joe Schmo got themselves a blue check mark kind of devalues the whole thing. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about class system versus just verifying that someone's a person? Yeah, no, I think, again, I think because of the rapid change of going from zero to 100 in terms of what the system looked like is, is why there's a lot of shock therapy basically going on here. Uh, people woke up when, like, assuming a class system to your point, and now all of a sudden anybody can go and get it for eight bucks. Uh, that's a little bit of a dynamic shift, if you will, at a minimum. So I think that it's not a surprise that that people are kind of all over the place on it. I don't think that you're wrong either. Like, I think that the part of the reason why at least I appreciated the blue check because like I look at certain accounts more often than not, and it's not always the case, but there are a significant number of blue check accounts that have significant numbers of followers and thus have a pretty big reach. And that's actually very important to know. Like if you're in my field and you're doing a lot of tech policy work, I want to know when, you know, person X that has a blue check that has a hundred plus thousand followers is spreading some kind of false narrative about a tech policy or, or a tech company, or, you know, just doing bad takes in general, right? Like you want to be able to call them out on that. And that's where it can be very helpful. That being said, you know, I think it does create a problem in the sense of um, seeing classism, I guess, like, you know, get executed in the digital world where it's like, well, you're not a blue check. Therefore, we shouldn't really care what you're saying in the matter, even if you are somebody who might have developed a lot of thoughts on a particular topic over the years. But, you know, that's that's a separate problem. And I'm not really sure if the technology is going to be able to really ever solve that because there's always going to be some margin, I think, where people are competing for attention. In, in that kind of an economy, if you will, in, in the digital ecosystem, right? So um, I'm not really sure whether or not the blue check system matters at the end of the day, if we're talking about in the way it was used to be done versus a democratized blue check that Elon wants to do. Um, I think that there will always be some kind of margin that people try to go and differentiate themselves by. 
I think maybe it's something we're just going to have to become adapted to. I would do the same thing as you. I would see this uh, breaking news or something like that. And I would look to see, okay, well, that person's got a blue check. And, uh, you know, a month or two ago, that would mean something to me. I would say, okay, this, this person, it's almost like they wouldn't want to destroy their brand, their blue check and put out some false information. Right. Uh, and now I, it doesn't matter. Like I see it. Well, the person's got a blue check and I'm like, okay, well that just means they got eight bucks. And, and so now I've got to go look up the information and try to find it all on my own, which could, even though that's annoying, could be a good thing that people learn that they don't just trust this tweet they saw and they need to go look it up for themselves. Maybe that's a good idea. No, no, absolutely. I think I think it is good. It's just an adjustment period like yeah. anything else, right? Like I got a notification because somebody followed me and I did see the blue checks. So I'm like, oh, that's always interesting because I like seeing like, you know, on the off chance of some personality decides to follow me. That's always interesting. Um, but then it was like, oh, yeah, it was just somebody that was, you know, they had their eight bucks. They paid it and it was a hundred follower account. I'm like. Oh, well, that was a little <laughs> deflating <laughs> uh, in some ways. Uh, and others, they're, they're perfectly fine people. And, and I love following anybody anyway. But, um, you know, it, it does go and like require you to rejigger your expectations when you're operating online, if that's what the expectation is going to be moving forward more than anything else. It bites only in the sense that now it requires you to do a little bit more research on the person before you just start engaging with them, right? Mm -hmm. That random hundred follower account that has the blue check now. Like I need to go and find out if I'm going to number one, probably not worth engaging with them in general, just because depending on what exactly they're doing with you, if it's a bot or if it's a troll or something, but let's say they are having a genuine conversation. Now I have to do more search costs because I have to figure out who this person is, what they've said on the matter, et cetera. So it's not great from that perspective, but you know, I, I like I said, I, I actually think that people are pretty good at adjusting and figuring out ways of, um, you know, re-identifying themselves within those, those conversations respectively. All right. Last thing on this. Uh, so when it comes to free speech, Donald Trump's account was reinstated along with several other people whose accounts have been uh, banned. Uh, I don't think Trump is actually going to use the account. If I were him, I would just use it as an official campaign account and have the personal uh, talk coming from from truth. I think he might legally have to do that. I don't know what his contract's like uh, with them. But anyway, and then he also says no Alex Jones who someone I've personally never been a fan of. I would see like a video, but like, okay, that guy's crazy. And so I just never, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't pay enough attention. I, it's not someone I've really ever paid attention to, but I, I don't know if I like drawing those lines and deciding who can have the account and who can't, and then using a poll to decide whether or not Trump is going to come back. Allegedly, you know, he, he posts a Twitter poll. And so like, is there any, are there any free speech principles happening here or just on the, the whim of Musk? Yeah. I mean, when I saw that happen via a poll, I thought it was an interesting way of going about it because I could have swore when he was asked that question at the outset about replatforming Trump, because he's been pretty open about saying that he would do that. I thought that he wanted to go and make it contingent upon having some kind of process for making that happen. And if the process was just, I'm going to throw and throw up a Twitter poll for a couple of days and let's see what happens at the end of it. That certainly is a way of doing it. Uh, I don't think it was what people were expecting. So uh, unsurprisingly, a lot of people had some feelings about that uh, 
decision being done based off of a poll uh from a tweet so that that was definitely very fascinating uh to the point that you were making before you know i think that just because he's reinstated doesn't mean that he's going to use the platform uh he's already said that he doesn't intend to use the platform because he does have his own community that he's built up at truth social that he is using that he thinks is better than twitter he's identified other problems i think in previous commentary that would go and suggest that um, and for him, it doesn't make sense, right? Like if he, if he wants to go and build out that alternative, then him using Twitter ultimately harms his business dealings to your point. Maybe, maybe he wants to use it as a campaign thing for 2024 at best. Um, you know, I'm not really sure how valuable that is. It depends, right? Uh, I think that that's something that remains to be seen. Now, legally speaking, he does have in his licensing agreement with truth social, a requirement that says hey you can't go and post on another alternative platform for like six hours after you've gone and put something on mass um on truth social right so if he did put out something on truth social and he decided he was going to use twitter then he'd have a baked in six hour window then he have to wait before he'd go and put it on twitter and again i'm not really sure what the incentive there is to do that if the second that he puts anything on truth social there's a bunch of reporters that are lurking there anyway that just go and screen grab it and put it up on Twitter anyway. Like, <laughs> does he really need to go and tweet it from his account if everybody else is sharing it for him? Um, I think that's a fair question, yeah. you know? But it'll be interesting to see how he handles it. It's it's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, I, I think maybe one other thing i consider if I were him is just a link to each truth post uh, posted on his Twitter. It just says there's a new truth post. And then you've got 87 million followers over there on Twitter and try bringing all those people over the truth if they're not over there yet. I don't know. We could run uh, media strategy for Trump all day, probably. I don't know if he wants us to do it. We can hit him up on truth and see what he thinks about that. Uh, but you know what? I, I, think, I think the Twitter thing is going to be exciting to watch. Uh, I don't think it's going to collapse. I don't want it to collapse. I want this to succeed. Um, I And also, the FTX thing is also going to be very interesting to watch uh, to see if I'm wondering if anything gets swept under the rug, if we push past it, we try to ignore it, or this ends up getting treated as big of a deal as it is. And maybe sometime we'll have you back on to kind of recap all this stuff and see where we are uh, with these two stories. So... <laughs> James, yeah, I really appreciate your time today. Tell everyone where to go so they can follow what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at jamescz19. You can go to the Young Voices website at www.young-voices.com. Or you can go onto my personal website at jamestranowski.com. Again, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a very fascinating conversation. I look forward to seeing how these stories develop. To your point, it's it's such a wild story with ftx and seeing what happens with trump as he's you know weighing out this 2024 run here it's going to be a very fun time we if anything we live in very exciting times so james i hope to have you back on again sometime thanks so much for your time today thanks for having me